Now, what would be the odds that that was happening again, that that wasn't a new report? Was that a new report or an old report? That's what I'm asking. Is it a new report or an old report? Is that a new report? Well, we don't know. When a seasoned sports fan teams up with a millennial, opinions may vary, but the debates assuredly won't disappoint. Check your sources. It's New Report, Old Report. Here's your hosts, John Lund and Al Renato. Well, Al, another exciting week in athletics. Major League Baseball has crowned a World Series champion and ended a city's drought. The first college football playoff rankings were released. People have takes. Nobody circles the wagons quite like the National Football League. And it looks like, at least for now, the Los Angeles Lakers season isn't over in the National Basketball Association. Those games are getting played. People starting to now get amped up for that. But as we enjoy being able to do on this show, when applicable, we're able to talk Major League Baseball. And what better time to talk about such than after the World Series? Shout out to the Atlanta Braves. Beating the cheating Houston Astros in six games to take home their first championship since 1995. Who knew that all it would take for the Braves to win a title would to be to just not play the New York Yankees. So good for them finally getting a different opponent, especially not being in the 90s. They win somewhat handedly in some aspects. Jorge Soler in game six hit one that I don't think still has landed yet. An Albert Pujols-esque blast over the damn train tracks. And then they got the nerve on StatCast to say it only went 444 feet. Really now? Really? That thing is still going. And you're going to say it only went 444 feet. If there's anything that Major League Baseball can do to maybe get the young viewers back and to maybe get people pay attention, why don't you cook the books a little bit with these home runs? Say that they're going 500, 600 feet, even if that's not the case. Get us in front of the televisions and we'll like to see it. Unfortunately, in some aspects, this was the second worst viewed World Series. Not a lot of juice for people that weren't in Atlanta or Houston. People lost interest. This Braves team was kind of just built back up again at the All-Star break, so you really didn't know some of the players. There's obviously Freddie Freeman and several other stories that we can get into as well, but not the Astros winning the World Series. A very happy day for Yankees fans. And for Atlanta, it's been a long time coming. The list of the curses that have plagued their professional sports teams is too long to even list. Finally, after 26 years, they can at least say for the baseball team, we got one. So we have that going for us. And now we get to hear your thoughts on the Atlanta Braves winning the World Series, putting a little cap on the end of this baseball season in 2021. Well, greetings, Johnny. Good to be back. It's America's old team. I remember when they were America's team. The team of Captain Outrageous, the great Ted Turner, TBS, the Superstation, when they started airing games with the magical triumvirate of Ernie Johnson Sr., Skip Van Weeren, and the great, and I do mean great, underappreciated, underrated, Skip Carey, son of Harry Carey, father of Chip Carey. That's what was broadcast across America on Ted Turner's Superstation. They were awful. They were terrible. But slowly but surely they started to get a little better. 
with the likes of Dale Murphy and the likes of Bob Horner, okay, and won a couple division titles under Joe Torre. And slowly but surely it started to build. But then there was another downfall in the late 80s. And then suddenly they were one of the worst teams in baseball. But you still saw the superstition. And they were self-proclaimed America's team, just like the Cowboys uh, proclaimed themselves America's team but won Super Bowls. The Braves did the same in baseball and won nothing in baseball except the division title in which they were swept by my Cardinals uh, in 1982 on their way to a seven-game win over the uh, Milwaukee Brewers then of the American League. And lo and behold, along came Glavin. And lo and behold, along came Smoltz. And a couple years later in free agency, then came Greg Maddox. And then came the division titles. Chipper Jones. Title. After title. After, oh, trade for Fred McGriff. Title. After title. After Andrew Jones. After time, Ryan Klesko. Title. After title. After division title. After division title. Mixed in with a 1995 World Series win after two World Series losses. Uh, over the Indians in six, followed by, followed by in 1996, not only a stunning upset, but in my mind, the World Series that stopped an absolute and complete total dynasty and started a mini dynasty. 1996, the Atlanta Braves are down 3-1 to my St. Louis Cardinals, led by their new manager, Tony LaRusso. And as the defending champs, the Cardinals had him down and out, no shot of repeating. And lo and behold, the Braves got on a sleepwalk and won the next three games against my Cardinals by the collective score of, you can look it up while I'm recanting it, but it was approximately, approximately something like 32 to one in the last three games of that series. I believe the last one was 14 or 15 to nothing when they rocked Donovan Osborne from the box. And I believe the Cardinals only scored one run in those last three games, and the Braves scored in the 30s. And looking like the juggernaut they were, they went in to take on your upstart New York Yankees, the new kids on the block, or the real old kids on the block. And the defending champs came into New York and dragged the Yankees around the bases. They dragged them around the four corners of the what we know as the old Yankee Stadium and left them bloodied in the middle of the ring, pummeled them in the first two games. Now they've won five straight games, and I believe the collective score of the, of the first two Yankee games was somewhere around 20 to nothing. Andrew Jones becoming the youngest to hit two home runs in a World Series game at age 19. They looked like they were going to absolutely annihilate the Yankees. And it was going to be their second consecutive championship in four World Series in the 90s. Yankees come back and win game three, okay, in Atlanta. And then series is over. Game six, excuse me, game four. Braves out to the big lead, shutout, cruising along. Mark Wohler's on the mound, out of the pen. 5-2 lead, three-run lead, I think it was 5-2. Up the whole game, shutting him out early, and up steps Jim Lairitz. Jim let me twirl the bat like a baton on every foul ball. Rough guy, Lairitz. You're roughing. Love the twirl. Okay? 
can't catch up with any of Waller's 98-plus mile-an-hour fastballs. And some numbnuts says, let's throw him a slider, a hanging slider. And Jim Lairitz deposits it over the left field wall to tie the game. The Yankees go on and win the game, tie the series, win the next two, shock the Braves, who go back to the World Series against the Yankees a few years later with a terrific team and get swept in four straight. And despite all those consecutive division titles and all those trips to the World Series, they only win one. And now, suddenly, after 26 years, the supposed dry spell of a morbid franchise, this is a franchise that was practically was the team of the 90s, was a dynasty, if not for one hanging slider. One hanging slider. Who knows how many more they would have gone on to in the 90s. With the Yankees have had their mini dynasty and win four World Series you know, of the next five years. We'll never know because of one hanging slide. They've been to the doorstep since then. They've won divisions. They've been to NLCSs. Stunned last year. Up three to one. Have the Dodgers practically buried. Back from the dead. Losing seven. And lo and behold, this year, their best player, the Mercurial Acuna. Brilliant. Pound for pound, maybe the best player in baseball. Certainly as talented as anyone in baseball. Rips up his knee at the right field ball. Early on, they lose their MVP like from last year, 2020. Left fielder, my former left fielder. Big daddy, Marcel Azuna, to domestic violence charges and a suspension slash administrative leave, police investigation. Pictures go down, Soraka again, injury after injury, muddling along in the mediocre NL East, nowhere to go, game after game, win one, lose one, win two, lose three, win one, lose one, under 500, the division that nobody wants. Lo and behold, their general manager goes out and trades for Jack Peterson. Okay. Plug in some of those holes in the outfield, everybody's hurt. And then at the All-Star break, he rebuilds the entire outfield. He goes out and trades for Jorge Soler the Kansas City strongman, for a bag of balls, 48 home runs a couple of years ago. He goes out and brings back Adam Duval, former Brave, former Red, from the Marlins. All he does is lead the National League in RBIs after he gets slotted into a starting role. He brings in fast Eddie Rosario. For whom? The fattest slob in Major League Baseball. Kung Fu Panda. Because Minnesota was just looking to dump, excuse me, Cleveland was just looking to dump the salary. Kung Fu Panda. When was the last time he had a meaningful at bat? I mean, separated at birth from Zion Williams. Who's larger? Kung Fu Panda, all right, or, or Zion? And the four outfielders just go on to do what? Well, let's see, Rosario is the MVP of the NLCS. Soler's the MVP of the World Series. Jock, the Jock Stars, hitting three run bombs against Milwaukee, all right? In, in the first round in the NLDS. I mean, are you kidding me? Everywhere you look. And Duval's hitting grand slams. Bing, bang, boom. Oh, that's right. And, and four is more. He goes in and he gets four guys that totally remake the team and they all play huge roles down the stretch in which they win the division easily and are literally the better team. In all the, they didn't get lucky. They won the tight games. And they had some breaks against the Dodgers, absolutely. But the Dodgers, the guys, Dodgers, a better team, sure. But who left the boatload of play, people on the on the baselines in, in the first couple of games? And then you get the big hits. 
The Dodgers, whose bullpen cracked up when they got cute and went to a race. The Dodgers. Yo, who succumbed to some injuries? The Dodgers. Who didn't hit in big spots? The Dodgers. Who had all the big home runs? The Braves. Whose bullpen shut everybody down? The Braves. Whose manager was Tom Cruise and made all the right moves? Look it up, kids. The Braves. The snip monster. And then they go up against the Strohs, who just mauled a Boston team that we thought had them on the ropes. Boom, goes Solaire. Game one. An instant break is served. Okay, there was game two. Then they go home and they steal two more games. The same two games they stole from the Dodgers. Those two games are the same games, one and two, they stole from the Dodgers at home. Home runs, Braves can't, can't get a big hit, 0 for 3,000 with men in scoring position, can't get a hit with two outs. Boom, there goes another home run. 3-1, great shape, ready to put it away. Okay, Strohs shake up the order. As per my instructions to everybody who would listen on MLB, Dusty does exactly what I said I should do. What I said, all three different shows. Got to move him down. Got to move him down. Okay? And, and get Correa up. This is going to be his last game. Then bat third. All right? Not fifth. And can we get the batting champion up on the seventh hole? You break it down where we belong. Boom! The bass bustlers. They come back from a Duval Grand Slam. And life! Life! Go back home. Okay? Our pitching blows. Okay? They get the best two starters. But we can hit. <laughs> Fat chance. Fat chance. Here comes the Braves pitching, and game six, their best starter, who hadn't been very good, is at his best. Completely shuts him down after some scary moments in the first inning. And lo and behold, the Braves just keep slugging their way. Solaire goes boom again. Early as 3 nothing. can turn your sets off. Serve off. I haven't even mentioned Freddie Freeman yet, who, by the way, goes boom. And as, you know, as dull a final game as you can have after the three-run bomb, which, as you said, you know, 446 feet or 445 feet. That's the first half of its trip to wherever it landed. Kudos. They were the best team of the entire postseason because they did pretty much most elements of the game the best. Their starting pitching, though middling, wasn't awful. It kept teams under control for the most part. Their bullpen was magnificent. Their offense were the mad bombers. They got big two-out hits. They got contributions from guys throughout the order, top to bottom, from Eddie Rosario and Soler on top to the former number one overall pick, Dansby Swanton, down at the bottom in the American League Park. They played well defensively. Not brilliant, but well. They couldn't throw anybody out. But Astros were not enough to make big hay out of it. And they made all the right pitches in the big spots. And their big right-handed hitters or one appropriate left-handed hitters simply did not come in in the most important times. And it, at times looked helpless. Uh, I mean, Alvarez looked like a little leaguer. Uh, there were times where Bregman looked helpless. Uh, Correa had one really good game. But in game six, the one last chance to come back in his last important at-bat, 3-2, first and second, two outs. He strikes out in a pitch that's a foot outside. It gets by the catcher, goes all the way to the backstop, and he looks like he's running down to first base, you know, with a small trailer and you know, towed to his back, and he's out by two steps. And the ball went all the way back. So I'm like, I'm like, dude, you have to. You're 27. You have to be faster than that. I mean, you, you took you that long because you're not running hard. Because if you ran hard, you can, how can you be that slow at that age? I mean, I could have gotten down there backwards. But the point is, the Braves were the best team. I thought they would win the AL, the NLE when the season started. So I thought they were the best team. I knew they were going to have all the injuries, obviously. Huge question mark, but everybody else in that division sucked. And they weathered the storm, and their GM made some great moves. And down the stretch, they got better and better and better. 
And look, the, the playoffs are also a marathon. And they survived the marathon. And they did it with home run power. Plain and simple, their offense was home run power. And every, they got it from everywhere you looked. Everywhere you looked. Everybody homered, I think, except Ozzy Albies, I think. Freeman did. Swanson did. They're brilliant on third baseman. They were Riley. Trevor mentioned it did. Their catcher, Darno did. Peterson did. Soler did. Cavall did. And Rosario did. They all homered. Every last one of them, except, I think, for Ozzy Albies, homered in the postseason. That's pretty amazing. Jorge Soler had more home runs than the Astros team did. That's correct. With three. That's correct. That's, and, and by the way, the little man with two homers, that was it. That's it. That was it. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. That was it. That, that, that was the team that led the major leagues, folks, in, I'm not going to throw all the fancy stats at you, okay, with the hard hit percentages and the balls in play and the adjusted yada yada, uh, but they had the best offense in major league baseball from a cumulative approach when you would take all the analytics and all the old fashioned numbers that I live by versus the alphabet soup that the new report lives by. Uh, they had the best offense in major league baseball. And it was, to- it was for all intents and purposes, virtually at a standstill except for game four. So to the victory go the spoils. Uh, now we can only hope that that's not the last baseball we see for a very, very long time. Free agency looms large, great class of shortstops, starting pitchers, relievers. Cats like Nicholas Castellano declined his option, so there'll be a loaded market. The question is, you know, when will we know whether or not we're going to have a baseball? Because the collective bargaining agreement expires beginning of December, and if we don't have an agreement, and most say one is not in sight, but I still hold hope out, uh, we may not start the season on time, which would be a definite, an absolute definite. So let's hope for the best. Let's congratulate the Braves because they were the best, plain and simple. And uh, we close up chop on MLB for the year uh, with awards coming and hoping for a hot stub season that is the prelude to a regular, regular season. Well, if we know there's something you could set your watch by with Major League Baseball is that agreeing on things isn't exactly the easiest of things for Major League Baseball, regardless of what it is. People always have their opinions, and this has the potential to get ugly, but like you said, we'll cross our fingers and hope. Yeah, real, real quickly on that point, I'm sorry to interrupt, but you know, they, they changed the ball of the NBA this year. They're talking about a little bit. Some guys are struggling with the shooting. Nobody cares. Talking to you for four seconds. You do anything to the ball in baseball, and it, it, it fills up the airwaves for a, a week, two weeks yeah. at a time. Other sports, nobody cares. Right. Nobody cares. But baseball, that magic little sphere, baby, you do anything to that, it changes things up. Well, baseball, 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 baseball's flying, baseball's a dead ball. Can we, can we, choose, can we get more home runs? Oh, man, wait, somebody, come on. That ball's flying. What do you do the ball? Test them. Put them in those special bags, seal them tight, and send them to whatever laboratory we need to test them to see how they're going to fare with the wind. Basketball, let's give me the basketball, give me the fucking ball. Let's give play. Let's give me the ball. You can bring your own ball. Who cares? Indoor, outdoor, one of those pump ones, the old school pump ones. I had the pump right in the ball. Those are great growing up. Baseball, she's kidding. Out of this. Seems too slippery, high. too much tack. Slippery. I need some stuff on it. <laughs> Jeez. Basketball, it's like, yeah, it's not the best. You know, CJ McCollum's one of the, the people that got asked about it. He's like, that's not the reason I'm missing my shot. They're throwing footballs with gloves on. 
It's always something. Let's take a quick break to pay the bills. He's Al Renato. I'm John Lund. We'll be right back with the new report, old report here on Sports Radio America. We welcome you back. I'm John Lund. He's Al Renato, and this is the new report, old report. A little bit of housekeeping, too, for some of the stuff that you mentioned from the 1996 NLCS. The Braves won game one, four to two over Mark Petkovsic. And then your Cardinals won eight, three. Todd Stottlemyre with the win over Maddox, three, two in game three. Donovan Osborne. Yeah, the Southpaw. Eck with the save. 4-3 yep. in game Shoot four. with the win. And then, troublesome. Here we go. 14 to nothing in game five. John Smoltz yep. gets the win. Yeah. 3-1 in game six. You're still feeling There's okay. The There's the run. Still feeling okay. And then 15 nothing in game seven. Tom 32 Brad. to one. And then that carried over into the World Series, 12-1 in Game 1, 4 nothing it's 40, in Game it's 40, 2. It's 40-42. 4-0 in Game 2. 46-2. to 48-2. over Jim Key. 48-2. They won five games in the postseason. I defy anyone to show me a five-game run in the postseason where the score differential was better than 48-2. Crazy. Absolutely crazy. David Cohn won game three, settled everything down. The Larritz game, 8-6. The one nothing game. Andy Pettit, Paul O'Neill catching the last out, galloping over to the, the wall and slapping it. I think it was hit by Luis Polonia. That's right. He had a very long at-bat. Refresh my recollection. Was he at that time former Yankee or Yankee to be? Luis Polonia for that at-bat probably had the largest dip in baseball history before like Terry Francona took over as manager for the Red Sox or the Indians. Cause he has a pretty good one going himself. 1995 Luis Poloni was with the Yankees for the second time. Then he okay. went to the Braves later in that season, ended up with Baltimore in 96 back to the Braves. Best numbers were in Oakland when he was young. He put up some good numbers. He had the biggest glove for the size of the guy that I ever saw. That was back in the days of the Rawlings fastback. Um, T-bar glove, outfielder's glove, uh, or, or the basket web. The outfielder's the T so you could see through it when you held it up to block the sun. Um, those gloves were like, I mean, it literally, Claude Washington also in his prime, especially when he was with the A's. Uh, they looked like uh, Cestas. They were so big. Amazing. Cecil Fielder with the RBI yeah. in that game. And then yeah. uh, game seven was there. That was headed over who? That was Let me guess. Andy Pettit over. Let me guess. Was it the lefty from Colorado? No. It's a current broadcaster. Smoltz? John Smoltz. Who's the lefty, who's the lefty from Colorado that they added to that staff? Denny Nagel. Denny Nagel. Wow. Denny Nagel. Wasn't Denny Nagel with the Rockies? Yeah. And the Pirates? I think he played for the Yankees at one point, too, because that was part of yeah. the bring everybody Pirates, in the end of his career. Pirates, Rockies? Yeah. Um, I thought he started that game. Okay, Schmoltz started that game. That Atlanta team was primed to win two in a row. And think about that. 32 to 1 and 14, 10 to nothing and 4 to nothing? 12 to 1 and 4 to nothing. Or so 16 to 1. Right. So so 48 to 48 to 2. Yep. 48 to 2. And you just have to look at who you had to beat to beat them. It's Smoltz, Maddox, and Glavin. They're coming at you twice a series. Avery became an afterthought. Then they added Denny Nagel. 
No, they, they, they were they were a tremendous team. They, they had excellent players. The one thing they didn't have is, is they didn't have stars up in them. You know, yeah. with they were scrappy uh, guys. Lemke and Jeff Blauser yeah. and uh, Rafael Belliard. Uh, who were some of the other second basemen? I'm drawing a blank because Lemke was there for quite a while. Oh, God. They had Tony Graffanino. Okay, no wonder I'm drawing a blank. Yeah. Well, yeah, something. I mean, those those are like scrappy guys. Mark Lemke will fight off 13 pitches in that bat. Jeff Blauser well, maybe which, will sneak which a hit Because they, they had stars everywhere else. Right. No. Right. But that's you need that on the team sometimes, too, the scrappy guys. And Andrew Jones was arguably, you know, definitely one of the five best defensive center fielders I've seen in my lifetime. Yeah. By the time I saw Willie Mays, mid-60s, he's not, you know, 15th year. He wasn't in his prime anymore. So I really couldn't tell. I'm sure he was one of the best. Everybody says the best defensive center fielder. When I saw him, he was still he was still really good, but he wasn't amazing. Uh, you know, I'm talking about 67, 68, 66, 67, 68. Um, and he was terrific. But I wouldn't call what I saw one of the five best. But I'm sure before I saw, he was off the charts. But uh, he is certainly one of the five best defensive center fielders I've ever seen. Yeah, and he broke, and, as you said, he was breaking World Series records being 19 years old. Pretty much if you do anything well, you're going to break records. Breaking Mickey Mantle's home run record in Yankee Stadium in Game 2. I mean, everything was just setting up to be, here we go. Two in a row, yeah. the dynasty rolls on. And it yeah, didn't happen. Yeah, we had yeah. the Joe Girardi triple game in Game 6. And the Charlie Hayes catch that he's unfortunately... When the, when the building shook. Yes. When the building shook as, as Girardi dove head first in the third base and the building was literally shaking. Here I am six, seven years old. First time really watching baseball. My father's a diehard Yankees fan. What better way to start off your fandom in baseball than that? And then Tremendous. obviously what happens in the next five, six, ten plus years. So I thought growing up, I'd made the right decision. So there's a little perfect history for a, lesson. Perfect for, for a young lad. Absolutely. And perfect if, way to start the baseball career. If anyone, championships. If anyone can find the 1996 world championship like collector's VHS tape that they put out to give you all the highlights. I must have watched that thing for that World Series growing up 500 plus times. I'm surprised it would still even play, to be honest with you. I could name you both starting lineups, even with the Braves. I could tell you who's on that team because all we did was watch it over and over again. And why not? It's, so I know a impressive. lot about those late 90s teams. Couldn't tell you a lot about today's teams. Like watching this Braves lineup, you're like, who's this? did they trade for this guy? Who, who's this? Who's that? That's just how it went for the Atlanta Braves this year. But as you said, they made all the right moves to get to the point where you're playing an Astros team that was coming into that series hot as can be. They said, leading the league in home runs, all those statistics and metrics, they showed it against the Red Sox. They lost 9-5 in Game 2. They lost 12-3 in Game 3, and we thought, is this really going to happen? The Red Sox are going to be the team that does this to the Astros? Oh, no, 9-2, nothing. we'll see you in the World Series. And then all of a sudden, this Braves team puts together some of the best pitching performances, whether it's from their starters or going bullpen games, because they lose their best pitcher to a broken leg in game one. <clears throat> the man came back out and got out several batters with a broken leg and then felt discomfort. Yeah, man, because your leg's fucking broken. That's why you're in discomfort. Get out of the game and get to the hospital. And they end up winning the first game, 6-2. And it's like, well, Charlie Morton's out for the rest of the World Series. But if you do your business, 
It's not going to matter. He wouldn't even come back up in the rotation. Charlie took care of business, too. Took care of business. Seven to two, they lose game two. You think, all right, maybe the Astros bats are coming back to life. Now we're going to Houston. Now the Braves are in trouble. Then they win game three, two, nothing. Then they win game four, three, two. Now you're thinking this is it. But then the curse game happens. The game that all Atlanta fans fear the most. What is going to go wrong to send this into another spiral? And it's leading off the game in the first inning with a grand slam to only have the game get tied just a couple innings later. Then Freddie Freeman, your hero, puts you back ahead 5-4 and you think, all right, we're back on track. And then you don't score the rest of the game and it's 9-5 and you're going into game six thinking, oh no, was that what they needed to beat us? And in game six, you left Zero doubt. Three runs in the third, three runs in the fourth, and we'll see you tomorrow night for the parade, for the strip club affairs, for the lemon pepper wings, Al. Where's Lou Will at? Get him on the phone. Get us in. Give us the wave. Lou Lou Will's going to make an appearance in the parade, I think. Lou Will have his own float, throwing wings (laughs) into the crowd instead of candy. It's going to be wild in Atlanta. Absolutely wild, as it deserves to be. Exactly. That'd be, that'd, be, that'd be a hell of a kid. They are going to blow the town up. And they're also going to be good for a while. To the National Football League, where nobody circles the wagons quite like it. And uh, surprisingly... On and off the field. Well, Turn I was going to say, the big stories of this week are off the field things. Surprisingly enough. The trade deadline came and went. It's nothing like the NBA tra- trade deadline does its thing. Denver got rid of Von Miller. You thought they were just going to clean house completely. And that was really... Cheerful goodbye. Sad goodbye. goodbye. Very, very heartbreaking. Very heartbreaking. These, again, he's the last of the Super Bowl 50 stars. The lone remaining player is the kicker, Brandon McManus, left from that team. Just in five years, they're all gone. He said goodbye to everyone, every worker, every player, every broadcaster, every journalist. It was a, it was a great goodbye. And now he's with the Rams, a little bit more sleep, and you could tell he's a kid in a candy store. Jokingly saying he went to bed four and four, he woke up seven and one. We got a chance to win a Super Bowl now. Thanks, Von. It's a hell of a line. I mean, good for him. If if there was a place for him to go, you're out of the division. Not like that matters. Out of the conference. He's healthy. He could wreak. If he's healthy, he could wreak havoc. Absolutely. Good for them. What a great move. Broncos have draft picks now. We'll see what they do with them. Blah, blah, blah. The Rams. The Rams. The Rams. You get a draft pick. The Rams. After the Rams drafted Jared Goff. You get a draft pick. They were like, we're not doing this ever again. You get a top pick. You get a cop. We don't need picks. Jared Goff (laughs) didn't work out for them, and they were like, fuck this nonsense. We are not wasting our time worrying about first-round draft picks because look what happened. Take all our our fucking We want players. We want players. It's a bold move. We'll see if it pays off for them this year. Now it's Super Bowl or bust for the next couple seasons, which is a great. Uh, look, place they're to fun. To, they're fun to watch. Great place to be. It's, you know, they got a lot of guys that are fun to root for. Uh, I've always liked their quarterback, little gunslinger mentality. I know he's fuck. I know he's fucked up some. Absolutely, but he's <laughs> like know, a candy store you know, too. When people sing like guys phrases, it's like you know, like you can do no wrong. Well, look, I, I Dick Stafford, but he's definitely fucked up. He's throwing some awful interceptions yeah. in big spots in Detroit when they had a chance to win. I understand that. But, you know, Brett Favre threw some really bad ones too. But Brett Favre was always on a good team. Yeah. He was a big part of that. But, you know, Brett Favre lost a lot of games. Uh, won a ton. Is in my top ten. Right at the back of my top ten. But he blew a lot of games with bad throws, bad decisions. And 
this guy has you know, not done nearly as many dumb things as Favre did. Now, not nearly as many spectacular things, but he's got a huge skill set, and he's always been on a crappy team. But there were a couple of years where they, they snuck into the playoffs, but you know what I mean. I mean, you don't think playoff success when you think the Detroit Lions. No. I would hazard to say they're mutually exclusive. And he's I, I, I'm glad to finally see the guy get a chance to play on a good team. Because it's not like he's some diva. He's been cool. So see a guy like that play for a team that I couldn't really care about more or less, except they're also fun to watch even if there's another guy quarterback them. Because I think some of their guys are like their receivers. I don't like to watch those guys play defense. Yeah. It's like a fucking jailbreak. Um, a defensive tackle is like, you know, Merlin Olsen and Bob Lilly and Joe Green. They were the, the cornerstone guys when I was growing up. And a young guy like you from the time I was, was like 10 to your age. And those were the three guys. When you thought defensive tackles, you thought Bob Lilly, Merlin Olsen, and me and Joe Green. Those were the three guys that were the cream of the crop. And this guy is, he's a fucking monster. He's just, a, he's a monster. Every time you watch him play, he dominates. He is quick as a cat. He's strong as, a, as, as a, an ox, agile. He's just an incredible player, an incredible player. I know the rules have changed and, and you know, just a totally different game in terms of the way they play it everywhere on the field. But he is a magnificent player. And he has a couple more years like this, then I'm, I've got to put him in those guys' category. That's how great he is. Absolutely. And those guys were great. Those guys, he'd be nice if he get a championship. And Merlin also didn't win a championship. You know, me and Joe Green and those Steelers uh, won a bunch of them. And obviously, Bob, Bob Lilly won a few with the Cowboys. Lost a couple Super Bowls, uh, but won a couple and was a legend. Uh, I just. This guy's a remarkable player. He really, he really is. People really need to take note of what a dominant player is. They're going to really be fun amazing. to watch. No question about it. And they're in a great position already. So sky's the limit for the rest of their season. Put the pedal to the metal and see what happens. Let's take a quick break to pay the bills. He's Al Renato. I'm John Lund. We'll be right back with the new report, old report here on Sports Radio America. We welcome you back. I'm John Lund. He's Al Renato, and this is the new report, old report, over in the NFC, which now has a different storyline, a storyline that we didn't necessarily expect in the (laughs) NFC because of what we were told by one Aaron Rodgers, who came down with coronavirus this past week, as did several other players on the team. Devontae Adams had it. Lazard had to be put aside because he was in close contact. Like, this happens. This has happened throughout the season in the National Football League. I would say the incredibly vast majority of the players were vaccinated when it happened. There's different protocols they have to follow. If their tests are positive, they can get negative tests in a certain number of days, be back on the team, et cetera. There's a whole protocol. It's, it's, not, it's, not, it's not mandatory that you get the vaccine. Correct. But you have to follow the rules if you don't. Understandable. Everybody's on the same page with it. We got it. There's protocols in place. Here they are. They were there last season. They came back this year. Everybody knows what you can and cannot do. We've for your choice, cousins for, for, about for your it. choice, folks. There's clearly a choice, and it's okay. Yeah, we've ripped Kirk Cousins for it. We ripped Carson Wentz for it, playing on Thursday night football. But it's okay. But it's fine. That's it's your fine. choice. It's, it's, we it's can within the rules. That's your choice. Yeah. We disagree with it. We think you're buffoons. 
for not getting it. But the point is, if you choose not to get it, so be it. Your choice, free country. Right? Um, if you choose not to take the best effort to protect yourself and those around you. Right? But you are allowed to, to not take it. You may continue. And when this was announced that Aaron Rodgers tested positive, obviously the first thoughts was it couldn't have come at a worse time because they were going to play the Chiefs this weekend. And it's a damn shame we can't get to see Mahomes and Rodgers, especially with the Chiefs kind of being down so far this season. Great chance for the Packers to win. Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. That storylines are getting thrown out the window, and then it's and now we got to start learning about Jordan Love. What's he been up to aside from kneeling the ball down three times and being in a blowout in like week one and playing preseason games? What's his case? Then more starts coming out. We hear from Ian Rappaport and others that turns out Aaron Rodgers ain't vaccinated, folks. What? He's not vaccinated. What? Of course he is. And then. It, comes on Twitter and through the news. Remember when he said this in August? He was asked, are you vaccinated? And he said, yeah, I'm, I'm uh, immunized. And I have no problem with the guys on the team that have gotten it or haven't gotten it. That's not for me to decide. Everything's fine. It's going to be an interesting story. It's going to be an interesting storyline, he told us. Yeah. So there's going to be some guys, you know, they're going to choose not to get it. It's a matter of choice. So it's going to be interesting, he told us. Little did we know. So it's the scene. Indeed. It's It'll the scene in the movie where liar, liar pants. Liar, liar pants on fire. It's the camera zooms in at the character, and they get that look in their eye. The oh shit! It finally comes to fruition. The flashback might play in the movie where they show you the exact scene where the wrong happened and how you missed it. And now all the reporters are thinking, you know, none of us Immunized. really followed up on what he meant Immunized. by. There were a couple, like a video went around. Michael Smith has his own show now on NBC. He was one of the first people to say in August, I don't think he's vaccinated. He didn't go into detail, and he just said he's immunized. Well, what is that? It doesn't mean you're vaccinated. But nobody on the outlets that we needed to make it mainstream really made reference to it. None of the beat writers covering the Packers did a local story in the paper about, well, maybe he's everybody just kind of looked around. At Aaron Rodgers, the king, that he's obviously going to be vaccinated. Why would he put his team this season, his quote-unquote last dance at risk? Nobody, there's few as cocky in the National Football League as Aaron Rodgers. He's one of the tops. And in some aspects, in some regards, deservedly so. Deservedly so, exactly. Bend the knee, kiss the ring. Absolutely. And ignore the dust on the ring. It's been gathered Smartest for 11 fucking years since he last won the Super Bowl. So the ring's got a little wear and tear on it, but kiss it nonetheless. I'm Aaron Rodgers. And we do, because what he does on the football field, you don't see happen at the quarterback position. Regardless of the championships he's won, what he does week after week, he's earned that right to feel that way about himself. So we were under the assumption that he was vaccinated. And oh, where are we all wrong? Because he's not. And now he must miss this next game. He's out at least 10 days. How will his body react, et cetera, et cetera. And then the hit pieces started to come in. Absolutely deservedly so. At how big of a fucking idiot this guy is. For basically under the table, flipping off the entire National Football League, carrying himself around like he's vaccinated. Now, I understand that the protocols are a little different now with reporters and the access they have to the locker rooms and a lot of stuff is on Zoom, etc. So there's a chance if everything was quote unquote normal, access wise, somebody would have spotted him with a mask on in a situation where it wouldn't have been needed. 
But we're all under the impression that for the things he would need a mask to wear for press conferences and interviews, et cetera, he's not. So everybody thought he must be vaccinated. He's not. So besides the interview stuff, you mean to tell me that he's been following the National Football League protocols to a T? This Aaron Rodgers? So he's taking separate flights to games. He's getting daily testing. He's wearing a mask at the team facility and traveling. He's not leaving the hotel when they're on the road. He's not eating with his teammates. There's no chance in hell he's been following all of these NFL protocols. There's no chance. And the list of things that he can be fined for, for what he's not following, is astounding. Gathering outside of the club facility with more than three players unmasked. $14,000. Now, this is all pocket change, but just bear with me for the numbers that they put with this. Engaging in in in-person meetings in the club facilities, 14 grand. Gathering in any number for any reason with other players and or members of the club's tiered staff when the club is, quote, shut down, $50,000. Attending a nightclub, unless the player is wearing a mask and there are no more than 10 people in the club, you're telling me they were following that one? $14,000. $14,000. Indoor about- bars, $14,000. House gatherings, $14,000. Concerts, $14,000. The list goes on and on. There is about, no way he's What about State Farm, State Farm commercials? Could you imagine the conversations that him and Max Teller were having around the campfires over the summer on their fucking vacations that everybody was bitching about? Oh, why isn't he not at the facilities? What is he doing having fun? And both of their unvaccinated asses are sitting around just laughing it up, going through their plans and how they're going to handle things. Because if there's one thing about Aaron Rodgers, he is calculated, folks. And we've known this for years. Whatever he says, he knows what he's saying. And he used those words of, I'm immunized, perfectly. Because he knew exactly what to do. And we find out behind the scenes, he went to the National Football League and said, hey, um, you know, I'm not vaccinated, but can't we like kind of just maybe move the rules a little bit? And maybe if I do a couple of these tests and try a couple of these things, I could kind of just get grandfathered into this whole protocol thing. And they said, no, you may not. So are you telling me that everybody knew he hadn't been vaccinated and he was allowed to break all these rules? Because how do they not know? He's being tested every day. Nobody had evidence that he had gotten the vaccination until you just finally told them. How, you know, there's a lot of missing information here. How long ago this happened? How long has everybody known and we haven't? How long has he been breaking the rules? With nobody's knowledge, team knowledge, team and league knowledge? I'm not concerned about this conspiracy theory scenario, but I just was like, you know, how long has we going on? We don't know. I, I haven't heard. You know, and who knew and when? Because I've always been, I've always arrived. You know, I'm a huge writer supporter. I think he's the best quarterback in the league. You know, he also is, is just out of fire with the, the, the backside of my top ten. Was ready to move to top five if he went to the Super Bowl last year. You know, I got him at eight-ish, nine-ish. But and I'm always in his corner. Even though it was a diva, and even though he's a bit of a character, and you know some strange stuff going on with the family, and not my business, I'm cool with this being the smartest guy in the room, being an agate buster. But are you telling me that with all your brains, 
You thought you were going to get away with doing this and nobody finding out and that you are going to, if that's your choice to not get vaccinated and only get immunized and not tell anybody when you know the risks and penalties, forget about the health scenario where somebody might really get sick because you got it and gave it to them and didn't take the precautions. But more importantly, because the chances of that are slim, but even though they could happen, all the guys who rely on you to make a living, you put them all at peril and you're their leader where you can miss games. You can give it to somebody who can miss games. You can wind up having to forfeit games. No makeup games, forfeit games, guys losing paychecks. What are you doing? You're the captain. They look to the quarterback to lead. That's the leader. You didn't just lie to everybody for, I'm really not sure what reason, just to make yourself look cooler. Cause we know, we all know you're pretty cool. I think you're cool. <laughs> I thought you were cool, but you do that with no apparent reason. You know, yeah, people make a bit of a deal with you. They made a big deal with the other quarterbacks. And you're a bigger quarterback, a better quarterback, so it'll be a bigger deal. But, you know, nobody's going to war over Cousins, you know, not getting vaccinated or, or the, the wide receiver in, in, in Buffalo, but, you know, blonde boy Cole Beasley, all right, uh, or, or the interception kid for the Colts who won a game tonight against the Hideous Jets. They just finished him off, right? Um, yeah, it'd be more of a deal with you, but it's, nobody's getting, like, all bent out of shape. So what are you lying for? I mean, you had to figure, if you look at which one could be worse, it's not even close. <laughs> yeah, so a few people are pissed off. It's not that big a deal versus everybody goes nuts. I mean, you, you're too smart to figure that the everybody goes nuts when they find out is the better way to go. Not a wise move for the smartest guy in the room because you lost my respect thoroughly and totally. And you had it. And you, you, you fucking blew it. Where were you on the Pat McAfee show on Tuesday when this broke? Yucking it up with the boys. Sharon laugh. AJ Hawk with the guys. Half hour at Aaron Rodgers. Exclusive. Weekly. What happened? You missed the call. You didn't call in to tell us about this? Left Pat hanging high and dry too? You coward. Hide it now. When are you going to come out and tell us what happened and apologize? And who cares? In the words of Bo Schembechler. Team. 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 Team, team. That's what this sport is about. They got to know, right? Like you, could he have hid this from the team? They have to know about it, right? Just on him pretending to do I some don't things. No, who knew yeah, when is always who knew what and when. It's always the magical inquisition. Who knew what and when they know it. Supposedly he went to the NFL in the summer. I don't know what month that exactly was. We'll say it was late as August. He got these homeopathic treatments from his personal doctor to raise his antibody levels, and he asked the NFL to review his status. And the NFL and the NFLPA were just like, nah, you're just unvaccinated, man. You got to follow all the protocols. Right, but when was that When was that decision made? The summer is what I found. Okay. So so, one so, of so far, it's, it's three months since the summer. At least, yeah. Okay, September, October, two and a half. You want to be kind and say two? Two and a half. Two months, minimum, two and a half. Uh, the, they know he has not been or wasn't vaccinated then. And then it turns out he didn't get vaccinated since. Right. So they've known for two and a half months. Yep. And it's the first we're hearing of it. This is the first 
We're here now. Why no fines? Why no fines? Where's Goodell now with his nice bully pulpit? What are you going to do Why now, no NFL? Why no fines? Why no suspensions? Why no news? You know, Cam didn't get vaccinated for a long time. I believe he finally did. Cousins hasn't. And you know what? For as stupid as those guys are, Carson as stupid as, as Kyrie Irving is, because he's getting dragged into this too, because he's obviously been outspoken about, at least they've come out and said, no, I'm not getting vaccinated. Or I haven't been vaccinated. Or right. I won't get vaccinated. At least right. they said it. Right. Rogers couldn't even do that. Right. I'll respect you the littlest amount if you at least come out and, and just tell everybody, I'm not doing it. Now, I think you're a fool, but at least you told everybody how you feel about it. This dude pranced around for months and just hoped it would get swept under the rug. I said I was immunized. That's it. Nobody's brought it up since. We're good. We're golden. We're grand. You know, part of you thinks, what if this happens in the next couple months? What if it's January and this goes down and you're missing a playoff game? What if you still miss a playoff game? You could still get it another time. It's not just a one and done type deal. We found that out with other idiots around sports that refuse to get it. Michael Porter Jr., sup? I just couldn't believe it. And then it's set in of, you know what? Of course. Because this is the type of guy Aaron Rodgers would be. He's the Kyrie Irving with better jokes of the National Football League. We like when he's honest. We love when he's laid back and having a good time. The long hair for the John Wick Halloween pictures. Throws it, slings it, wins games. Everybody loves him. He's the guy. And we bend the knee and we kiss that dusty, dirty ring of his. Well, now we'll see what the National Football League does about it. Is he going to get the superstar treatment? Or is he going to get fined and suspended and have the book thrown at his ass as he deserves? We'll see. I doubt it. But we'll see. More news. More news. Off the field. The ugliest incident of all is, I don't even know what's going on with Henry Ruggs Jr. Uh, You've heard about it. You've read about it. And uh, he's in a heap of trouble. Uh, Heap of trouble. And, you know, everybody knows the details. And uh, it could be a distinct possibility that we're never going to see him on an NFL football field again. Simple as that. Innocent until proven guilty, but the possibilities are there based upon the facts that I know of, which are without any legal proceedings being instituted, but the potential is there for him to never play football again and to go to jail for a while. If everything works out for the worst for him, it certainly did work out for the worst. Certainly worked out the very worst for the victim and her dog. That's a story that you never expect to see. You're floored when something like this happens. And upon immediately hearing it, unfortunately, you get the feeling that whatever else is going to come out from this is only going to make it worse. And that's usually always the case. And that was, of course, the case with this. It was he was involved in a, in a car accident. One person has died. He was two times over the legal limit. And then more starts filtering out from the story. And you find out he's going 156 miles per hour in a car hits another, and it immediately goes up in flames. Witnesses are around, a terrible scene, and now his his football career is over. 
by one terrible mistake, a life is lost. That family's lives are ruined. And part of his life is ruined too. You absolutely can't comprehend such a thing happening in such a short amount of time. It's terrible. And now the Raiders deal with that. Derek Carr deals with that. Saying, you know, he needs people. We're praying for him. We know this guy. He was our friend. We're not just going to throw him in the street after something like this happens. It's, it's life-changing for so many people. And you absolutely hate to see something like this happen. We were talking before the show. Could you imagine you're going 75 miles an hour on the highway and then double that? And you're not on a racetrack. You're deep around. It's been a long time since I was in a car that went over 100 miles an hour. Long time. 156. 156 is is, uh, unimaginable at this stage of my life, driving that fast uh, on a regular road versus even just driving that fast where there was no risk of anything going wrong. Uh, Cause you were just, you know, on a track uh, or just a long piece, of, a long piece of road where they were going to be, it wasn't going to be anybody, but to drive 156 out on the road. Uh, I, I, I can't imagine that. And uh, it was just absolutely terrible. A tragedy. Any way you want to look at it for the lost lives and the lives that weren't lost and what they've got, ahead of them, which is not pretty and uh, going to be very difficult for a lot of people. Terrible. Absolutely terrible. hate to see it. And ironic because as a lot of people know, uh, this is the same young man who lost his best friend in high school to an automobile accident. From then on, Ruggs has held up three fingers every time he scored for his, his best friend's number three. This incident happens. Accident happens with him. Uh, where his life is certainly taken a very damaging blow. And unfortunately, another life was lost. Absolutely tragic. And really not a great way to segue from that and a sour note to end the show, but such is life. We have to give you the news, folks. It's it's sports. We talk about it. Unfortunately, uh, so much of it this week was off the field, but uh, that's what we're doing here because that's stuff that people are talking about. So we're going to talk about it, and we want you to know what we think about it. For the big man, the great John Tynion, I am Al Renato, a.k.a. Al from White Plains. On a higher note, enjoy the college football, enjoy the NFL, and have a great sports weekend, everybody. We'll be back 8 p.m. Eastern time here on Sports Radio America. You can listen at sportsradioamerica.com and interact with the show there as well or find us on the TuneIn app by searching for Sports Radio America. You can also follow John Lund under the same handle on Twitter at London Bridge. Thanks again for listening.